Hello and welcome to Max Politics. This is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette, a publication of Citizens Union Foundation. Thanks very much for tuning in here for this episode of the show. We are taping here on Monday, August 8th, 2022, which means that tomorrow will mark just two weeks until primary day, August 23rd, for elections for the New York State Senate and the U.S. House of Representatives here in New York. Virtually all of the contests in New York City are Democratic primaries, including a few very high profile and competitive races, a chaotic redistricting process after the 2020 census and some decisions by New York officials with lots of details I won't go into right now, led us to these two primary days this year. The previous one for statewide and state assembly seats was in June. And now we have one here in August. A great deal of attention has been on two Democratic primaries for the House of Representatives here in New York City. There's the crowded and competitive race in the new 10th Congressional District, where a diverse field of candidates is running for an open seat that will serve much of lower Manhattan and a big stretch of Brooklyn. And I've been interviewing the leading candidates in New York 10 here on the show. You can find those in the podcast feed at Max Politics or at the Gotham Gazette website. And then there's the new 12th Congressional District, which covers much of the east side and the west side of Manhattan. And there is an intense Democratic primary there, including my guest today, Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney, as well as another sitting member of Congress, Representative Jerry Nadler and Attorney Suresh Patel, who recently joined me here on the show. Because of redistricting and the new map that drew both of their bases into this new 12th congressional district, both Representatives Maloney and Nadler are here in this race. They are two longtime members of Congress, first elected to their seats in 1992. And that leaves this new 10th congressional district open, of course, that I mentioned previously. My guest today, Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney, is attempting to keep her seat in Congress by securing her base on the east side of Manhattan by fending off Mr. Patel, who has challenged her the last two cycles, and by pulling votes from Congressman Nadler's west side base. She's here today to discuss her pitch to those voters and discuss some of the most interesting and pressing issues facing the nation, the district, and this race. Representative Maloney is also the chair of the powerful House Oversight Committee. We'll talk about her work there and is perhaps best known among New Yorkers for her work spearheading the September 11th Victim Compensation Fund. I should note there's a fourth candidate in the race, Ashmi Seth, who has worked at the Federal Reserve and calls herself a climate activist, but she does not seem to have garnered a lot of momentum here in the race. Primary day, Tuesday, August 23rd, is fast approaching with early voting August 13th through 21st. Today, the day we're taping, Monday, August 8th, is the deadline for requesting an absentee ballot from the Board of Elections. So if you're hearing this as soon as it publishes on Monday the 8th, uh, you still have a time to uh, request your absentee ballot. But if you're listening to this anytime after the 8th, you've missed the deadline. All right. So let's talk with Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney, a Democrat who represents the current 12th Congressional District of New York, which includes much of the east side of Manhattan, as well as Roosevelt Roosevelt Island and parts of Queens and Brooklyn. She's hoping to win this primary in the new 12th Congressional District of New York, which is fully in Manhattan. It stretches on the west side from Chelsea up through the upper west side and the east side from Stuyvesant Town up through the upper east side. It includes all of Midtown, all of Central Park. I think you have the general picture, but to see it in other districts, you can visit our friends at the CUNY Mapping Services Redistricting in You New York website run by our friend Stephen Romaluski. Okay, enough introduction from me. 
Congresswoman Carol Maloney, thank you for being here. How are you today? I'm fine, Ben. Thank you for inviting me. So thank you very much for doing this. I should, as I noted, uh, Suresh Patel joined me recently. Congressman Nadler has so far declined to uh, chat with us, but hopefully he'll change his mind before primary day. But we're very happy to be speaking with you here today. So before we get into your accomplishments and your future priorities and a whole lot of other stuff, this new district, as I said in the intro, you have your longtime east side base, but now you're looking to connect with and contend with the west side of Manhattan. How are you adjusting your campaigning, your perspective, your pitch to voters to talk to those West Side voters in Manhattan? Is there anything that you can clear up for us in the differences between what the West Side voters and the East Side voters here in this district care about? How is that going, reaching out to voters on the West Side? I'd say that most people care about the same things. They want safe streets. Uh, they oppose gun violence. They are deeply uh, disturbed by this uh, dangerous, extreme Supreme Court, which has rolled back a woman's right to choose. I would say that uh, there is no democracy if women cannot even make decisions about their own bodies. Uh, so they're concerned about our climate and protecting our, our, our environment which we hope to do this week with the Inflation Reduction Plan, which will be the largest investment in combating climate change ever. So they care very much about the same things. Uh, The the main thing is making a case. So the way I've tried to make a case is by introducing uh, myself. Uh, I'm a mother, a former educator, and the Congresswoman for the 12th District. I'm a proven progressive leader with a track record of delivering results for New York. And I never backed down from a fight. And that's why I have been named one of the top three most effective members of Congress by two independent congressional rating agencies, GovTrack.com and the Committee for an Effective uh, Lawmakers. And I've repeatedly been rated uh, first, second, or third most effective while my opponent is weighted rated way, way down. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say change does not come easily, but it comes if you never quit. And I have a record of actually getting things done. I didn't quit on our 9-11 responders, and now they have health care for life. I didn't quit until I passed the credit card reform bill, keeping over $16 billion a year in consumers' pockets and ending and cutting out unfair, deceptive banking fees. And I didn't quit on the Second Avenue subway, uh, which I went to Congress to build, and I've now built it. I think a a major difference between me and Mr. Nabber is he came to Congress wanting to build his rail freight tunnel. It's still not built. Not only did I build a Second Avenue subway for its first leg, but we now have funding going up to 125th Street. And I brought in a, a monumental amount of money, like $10 billion dollars, for the new subway upgrade on the L train connecting Manhattan to Brooklyn, on the upgrade for the 63rd Street connector over to Queens through Roosevelt Island with a new F train line and uh, straightening out the the, uh, tracks and Harold Interlocker for high-speed rail between New York and Boston. So I have a record of, of really delivering funding to the district I represent 
on those um on those metrics of effectiveness uh what's at the what's the essence how, how is effectiveness being uh, measured there i mean what 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 is what do you attribute what do the raiders attribute effectiveness to and what do you say uh, being an effective member of congress is and how that differentiates you and and representative nather as you mentioned uh him coming further behind you in those ratings it, it it's really getting things done Mm-hmm. Whether it's passing a bill, I've authored and passed over 70. I sent you a report of 100 things that I had accomplished since mm-hmm. I've been in office. These are concrete accomplishments, and they look at concrete output, not words, but uh, actions, not words, but accomplishments. Accomplishments speak louder than words. So they base it on concrete accomplishments, Mm -hmm. moving legislation We're legislators. So moving and enacting legislation that helps people's lives. As I mentioned, the 9-11 health responders uh, help save lives. Uh, As I mentioned, my credit card bill of rights is saving consumers over 16 billion a year, as in B. And I'm building on that work. I just uh, moved a bill called an overdraft bill. And that bill also, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau estimates will save consumers over $15 billion a year by having alternatives for for consumers not to get into overdraft, which has an onerous fee. It traps traps many consumers in never-ending circles of, of poverty that they're spending all of their time just raising money to try to get themselves out of overdraft fees. Hmm. It changes it by letting the consumer make the decision about whether or not they need overdraft fees. It stops them from going into ATM withdrawals unless they have the money there. It stops them from uh, uh, going into uh, spending money that they don't have. And it uh, has a, it cracks down on unfair, deceptive practices of banks, such as ordering the overdraft fees uh, by the largest thing that's printed and then tracking them in five or six other smaller overdraft fees. So as, we'll save consumers over $15 billion a year. As I mentioned in the introduction, you've been chairing the uh, the House Oversight and Reform Committee, powerful committee. Uh, you've been chairing, chairing many hearings on a variety of uh, topics in, in that committee. Is, is there something that you would point that you point voters to when you're chatting with them at a at a farmer's market or a subway stop um, or, or any other campaign activity? Is there something as chair of the oversight committee that you point voters to as your top accomplishment there? What do you what do you want people to know that you've been able to do as chair of that committee? Well, first of all, we went after the high cost of prescription drugs. We produced a report. We had numerous hearings, including pulling the Sacklers in, who uh, pushed the opioid crisis on us unfairly mm-hmm. and holding them accountable. My goal was to pass a bill that would allow the government to negotiate lower prices for Medicare, Medicaid, and any government program. Uh, so that is one thing that I'm proud of. And this Thursday, when we go in to vote, for the inflation reduction plan, the bill that I was pushing and building a case with, with the studies on opioids and the high cost of prescription drugs and how we pay more than any other foreign country because they're able to negotiate lower prices, that bill will be passing on Thursday. 
So I see that as a, a major achievement. Uh, also, I'm very concerned, as most people are, about the crime on the streets of New York and looking for what we can do on the federal level. And on the federal level, there are two ways that I am working to help the city of New York. One is to pass up a, a way to get uh, funding to the city of New York for mental health services. There was one study that said half the people in Rikers were mentally ill. And we know that a lot of crimes in our city are, are really uh, uh, enacted by, by people that are uh, mentally ill. And I, I gave uh, one bill that I put in was named after Michelle Goh. Mm -hmm. She was the woman who was pushed in front of the train and killed. Uh, when I researched it, I found out that she, uh, that, that the Mr. Simon who pushed her was mentally ill and had gone to uh, numerous uh, uh, mental health clinics and looking for help and no one could help him. And he literally told his doctor that he would uh, that he would uh, push a woman in front of a train if she didn't get mental health treatment. So I uh, called the hospitals. Why weren't they taking them? And it's because Medicaid will not reimburse over 16 beds. Uh, so I put a bill in to raise the limit. Uh, so that our larger institutions that have the open beds for mental health can assist in getting mentally ill people off the street. Mm -hmm. Also gun safety. We have passed some gun safety bills. It did include one bill that I put in that made, uh, uh, made uh, trafficking in guns a felony. Um, but we need to do much more. We passed a ban on assault weapons. I had a hearings on all of the killings in Uvalde, Texas, and in Buffalo. They all used an AR-15. It is a weapon of war. It should be banned from our streets. It should not be in our schools or in our neighborhoods. It should be banned. We did pass a bill to do that. That bill is uh, being attacked by the NRA and Republicans as affecting the Second Amendment. Uh, so I looked for bills that went around the Second Amendment that could help us address the AR-15s that are getting into the hands of our, our young people very easily. And one I'm introducing uh, this week that would tax the AR-15 20% uh, make it more expensive and harder to, to obtain. Uh, the other one would require liability insurance on the AR-15 and other guns so that People would have to have liability insurance and the coverage there. When you have liability insurance, it really requires you to look at ways to make it safer. Right. And so uh, guns are not do, don't require liability insurance, but cars that are far more not as dangerous do, and it has helped us make them uh, more safe. I did pass a bill with Markey showing the power of the NRA where they uh, literally passed laws that said you could not even study it. We changed that and our funding studying at 50 million. And then a bill that would require the, the uh, manufacturers to track how dangerous uh, these weapons are so that we could uh, move forward. I would also say that reacting to the Supreme Court decisions 
is uh, tremendously important, particularly the one that is taking away a woman's right to choose. And I am working on an agenda for action just to respond to this particular onerous decision. It overturned 50 years of precedent, and it's estimated that roughly 33 to 36 million women across the country have lost their access to abortion, which is- what is the what is the what is the plan there? I wanted to ask you about that, so I'm glad you took us there. The you know there there's there's some question among um, some Democrats and activists and others about why um, you know Democrats didn't make it a priority over the years to try to codify Roe into federal law, especially uh, you know harkening back to times where Democrats have had control of the White House and both houses of Congress. Um, What's the plan moving forward? And and do you have a response to those who've questioned, you know, why Democrats didn't make it more of a priority, why Democrats aren't willing, haven't been willing to uh, pass something over, you know, overriding the filibuster in the Senate, uh, but really making it more of a priority and and not sort of thinking that the precedent would stand when obviously there have been conservative forces working for a long time to get to this point? I made it a priority. Mm -hmm. I worked on it all the time. We tried to pass the Women's Health Protection Act. We did not have the votes until this particular session, mainly because we elected so many new women. And we had the votes now to pass the Women's Health Protection Act in the House, but not in the Senate. I also protect, I also support abolishing the filibuster so that we could have passed it in the Senate. Uh, President Biden also came out for a carve-out in the filibuster uh, for of voting rights and for a Women's Health Protection Act, which the Republicans are resisting. So we are fighting, uh, but we have to pass it not only now in the House and in the Senate, but in, in individual states. And we had a big win in Texas, in, in Kansas recently, uh, where a, a resolution overturning or granting the uh, access to abortion uh, passed in Kansas, which uh, we need to now do in every single state as they return that power to the states. But uh, we also needed to attack contraception because the court said because of the privacy, right to privacy, uh, also that they, they their decision that uh, based on the person's right to privacy, including the right to included also the right to contraception and the right to same sex marriage. So we had to pass the contraception uh, right to contraception act, which we passed in the house. Again, we are not able to uh, pass it in the Senate. And, and we also passed the respect of marriage act to ensure marriage equality throughout the United States uh, was enshrined in, in the right uh, to federal recognition of marriage for same-sex uh, couples. The bill passed the House, but again, not, 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 the, not, the, uh, not the Senate. So we need to not only hit these areas, but go to the access to birth control in our pharmacies. Many of our pharmacies are turning it down because of religious purposes. So I authored a bill to prevent pharmacies from refusing to give individuals contraception and ensure access. Uh, They also are starting a large disinformation campaign with the so-called crisis pregnancy centers, where they make themselves look like uh, Planned Parenthood 
fly the colors and they are not. Once they get in, they get a very different story that is against abortion. And uh, we we passed uh, or I introduced a bill that you cannot lie in your information about abortion with clinics. You can't mm-hmm. say that you're that you are against abortion when you are uh, for abortion. You can't say you're for abortion when you are against abortion. But just be honest about what you're doing. And I, I also have uh, passed many bills to guarantee the access to medication medication abortion care. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is really important. Roughly 60% of abortions now are medication abortion care. And earlier, the FDA said you could only get it in person. I wrote many letters. I stopped that. You no longer can are needed to be in person so that we can mail medication abortion care into, um, into the states, the 26 states that have now moved to ban it. So these are some of the areas that we are working comprehensively to the, um, to save, and I would go back to the Equal Rights Amendment. Right, that's something you've been you've been you've been focused on uh, quite a bit over the last uh, number of years. L- let me l- let me ask you. Um, you mentioned President Biden uh, a couple times. Uh, obviously, a big deal coming together with the president, with uh, Senate Majority Leader Schumer, Senator Manchin, then getting Senator Cinema uh, on board with a few changes to the Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, as you say, uh, planning to pass it in the House this week. Um, Around President Biden, this came up in your in your first debate uh, hosted by New York One and, and WNYC Radio. You said you didn't think President Biden would run again in 2024. Uh, you went on CNN in the following days and you said, you know, you would he's been a great president. You would support him. But you again said, I happen to think you won't run again to President Biden. Can you what, what is that feeling or that thought based on? Is that based on any uh, knowledge that has been shared with you by people close to President Biden? Where, where does that come from? This is going to be very clear. I support President Biden 100 hmm. percent. And if he runs, I will totally support him. And uh, first of all, it was silly of me to conjecture on President Biden's decision to run. And there should be no question whether I support him. I have before and I will begin. I will do it again. But before we get to 2024 politics, we need to get through 2022 election first. And I urge all Democrats to stay united and focused on working towards winning the midterms. Just on that on that conjecture, and I hear you saying you shouldn't have. Shouldn't have conjectured, but on that conjecture, what, what was the reasoning behind it? Was it something somebody's told you or it's just a feeling I you have? I support President Biden, period. Uh-huh. Okay. I support um, him. And if he runs, I will support him 110%. Uh-huh. Do you think he's going now to let's run? Look at, let's look. Yes, I do. Biden's leadership securing historic investments for health care, climate, and economic justice. Once again, why is the strong and effective leader we need right now? I have so, support, uh, uh, consistently, I support his infrastructure bill, which is great for New York. I supported mm-hmm. the Build Back Better bill, which we tried to get through the Senate. Unfortunately, we were not able to. But we did pass the American Rescue Plan that brought $5.8 billion to the city of New York. And it came through the committee that I represent. um, One small change, I had it go not from the state 
and to the state, but I sent it directly to the city, and that saved us billions and billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm proud yeah. of that. You, and you, we will be we will be uh, voting on this Thursday on the very important inflation reduction plan, which will be the largest investment in green technology ever. You, and um, you got an initiative. May I mention this initiative that I worked on for uh, cars? Uh, you know, I reformed the post office earlier this year, uh, particularly during the election. It looked like President Trump was going to steal the election with the post office. I called a hearing. Uh, we made the changes. We put in legislation, which I finally passed to protect the uh, post office. Mm-hmm. And after that, I started an initiative to electrify the postal fleet. And that is in this new bill that the president is passing. Mm-hmm. Uh, through negotiations with the post office, I got 40% of it electrified. And in this bill, there's $3 billion more to electrify the second largest fleet. This will do more to move us uh, towards meeting our goals for reducing uh, the, the greenhouse gases. And let me, let me come back to something you said earlier in this conversation. Um, you, you you were speaking a little bit about what you see as separating yourself and, and Congressman Adler. Obviously, um, most indications are that this race will come down to the two of you. Obviously, Suraj Patel is, is hopeful he can pull off what he even acknowledges would be one of the big uh, political upsets in, in history. Um, you, you, you spoke a little bit about how you've accomplished some of your priorities. Uh, Representative Nadler, uh, you said, you know, his top priority about the, the freight line has has not come to pass. In in your New York One WNYC debate, um, he highlighted, you know, a few differences between you two. He pointed to your votes for the Iraq War, the Patriot Act, your vote against the Iran nuclear deal. Is there anything else you want to point to as, as to what you see separates the two of you, whether it's legislative, budgetary, or simply, you know, approach to the job? Any other ways in which, because in the debate, you 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 were pretty gracious. You you said, you know, you've worked uh, very well together and, and aligned on most issues. He pointed out those differences. Is there any any other lines you want to draw for people in terms of? I, I, think, the, I think the main thing is whether you get things done. Mm-hmm. I've supported uh, uh, all of these things. Now, in terms of the Iraq war, I regret that vote because President Bush, Rumsfeld, and and uh, really the classified briefings that said they had weapons of mass destruction and could come in and blow up uh, Times Square in my district. Mm-hmm. Now, it turned out to be not true, but that's retrospect. At the time, I did not know. And if they were saying they were going to hurt the people I represented, uh, I was obviously very concerned, but I regret that vote now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the in the Iran deal, it wasn't long enough or strong enough, and it didn't prevent Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. In fact, the day they signed the bill, Iran had a, a, a demonstration with death to America and death to Israel. Uh, so... Do you also regret the vote for the Patriot Act, or is that one where you and, and Congressman Nader... Patriot Act also... Uh, happened right after 9-11. Mm-hmm. And we needed to modernize our internet. We needed to modernize uh, the communication system between the CIA and the FBI. These are all votes that were 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and well, he, I, you I know, he, for, he and others, he and others point to them for, as, as well, I voted you know, for judgment the concern of, of uh, protecting the people that I represent. 
all of the items that uh, that collect, collected any data on people have been sunsetted. In fact, the Patriot Act has been sunsetted. But President uh, Obama said that this bill alone saved our country from 50 different additional assaults on our country. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I feel that my number one priority is to protect our people. And uh, I know that uh, during the hearings that we had on, on uh, 9-11, that it came out that Secretary Tenet from the CIA testified that he knew about the 15 members that were going to learn how to fly but not how to land. But he never told the FBI because he was prevented from sharing information. This allowed us to uh, uh, share information to better protect our people. Mm-hmm. The um, One of the arguments being made by by Mr. Patel is, is around this need for, for generational change, as he calls it, and uh, a new sort of perspective on more of a pro-growth mentality from elected officials in New York City, especially as it relates to growing uh, housing options. Um, What's what's your general response when you hear Mr. Patel and and some who, you know, may support him or the idea of, quote unquote, generational change saying, you know, it's it's time for new voices and it's time for more uh, pro-growth policies, especially as it relates to housing in New York. Um, Does that I mean, that I saw again in the debate that that, you know, that that seems to sort of chafe at you because you point to your accomplishments, you point to your seniority, you point to the fact that, you know, longevity in Congress helps you get more things done for your district. Um, but but what do you make about this idea of, of a more pro growth mentality? Well, I'm absolutely for growth and I've brought growth. I'm changed with experience. I've never been more effective. I built the only subway not New York City, not New York State, but the entire country. And I would say before he tells you what he's going to do, what has he done? Has he done anything in New York to help people? And also, if he wants pro-growth, I put up like five, 10 new schools. I put up seven new senior housing projects, 202s. What has he done? I put up uh, a, a, not only the Second Avenue subway, but the L train, the Kosciuszko Bridge, and uh, many other things. What has he done? So I have grown my district. Mm-hmm. It's a better district now. It has a new subway, seven new uh, public housing developments. I put up the only two healthcare centers in, in public developments that provided free vaccines, free treat- treatments. And what has he done? You can volunteer. You can do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a proven progressive champion As, with a, a track record of concrete accomplishments. And As I the Second that, Avenue, I would say second, that accomplishments speak louder than words. Wouldn't you say? Um, I, I hear you making that case, and I'm sure a lot of a lot of folks would agree with you. Um, the as the Second Avenue subway does continue to grow, do you think um, it, there should be where it, where there isn't already abundant um, housing near the the stops? Do you think um, officials in New York City state and at the federal level should all be looking at how to maximize sub, you know, this is something that MTA CEO Jano Lieber said to me recently about just generally about subway expansion was that it should really come with a lot more housing near the any new subway stops. Do you agree with that? Well, I, I agree. I support new, um, new, new, uh, 
housing and I, I support uh, moving forward with new housing. One of the problems we confront is everybody wants to build market level. They don't want to build affordable and we need affordable. We don't even have housing for the middle class, but I built it. I built the 202 senior housings, seven of them. And I'm working now with St. Nick's in Brooklyn on 500 uh, new units of affordable housing. And I'm working now with the public housing development to preserve the housing. Uh, we had worked very hard to get $30 billion into the Build Back Better bill. That didn't pass, but we're working to get more monies. I did get $27 million to replace the roofs on the public housing and my development. And as I said, I brought in no other congressperson in the country has brought in two public health centers, community health centers, into two developments to help people. And I just say, what has he done? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad you you raised public health. Uh, wanted to go there next. I'm no, sure. I, I'd like to say I build, I want to build more housing. Uh-huh. But I know that I've been working three or four years with St. Nick's on the 500 units. Each of these 202 projects took two to four years to build. Uh, they don't, they, it doesn't just happen overnight, and it doesn't happen because you say it. It happens because you roll up your sleeves, you go to work, you get the federal money, and you work with community groups to make it happen. I am proud of my record of achievement. And I would say achievements speak louder than attacks or words. So Congressman Nadler has uh, this this remarkable uh, language on his campaign website that says Carolyn Maloney has been a leading anti-vaccine voice in Congress and points voters to a whole bunch of information. Uh, Maloney wrote or sponsored nine pieces of anti-vaccine legislation, tried to divert money towards anti-vaccine research and so forth. This is Congressman Adler putting this on on his campaign website. You, you spoke about this again a little bit in the in the first debate. I couldn't quite tell. You said, um, you know, you you regretted having ever asked a question about vaccines or sponsoring the legislation to po- possibly study uh, vaccines and the potential link to autism in children. Did you mean that you regretted those or it seemed in in that discussion like you were being uh, you were a little frustrated about being attacked on these things? You said they, you know, it was a long time ago. So maybe we can clear the air here about, you know, when you were looking into these things, when you were saying some of these things, were you, um, you know, do do you really regret that now? Do you feel like you're unfairly uh, attacked for looking at those things? Can can you help clear the air on that a bit? Yes, I think I'm I'm fairly attacked. He knows it's a lie. He knows that I support vaccines. I have always voted for vaccines. I'm vaccinated. My children are vaccinated. I have bought millions of vaccines, uh, over $5 billion to the city of New York to support the uh, the uh, establishment of vaccines, and I would say that uh, my record is a good one in supporting vaccines. And as I said, I'm the only one. He hasn't built any vaccine centers in his district to provide free vaccines to his people. I have. Uh, but, there but were ru- there were roughly ten bills. years, ten years, twelve years ago or so. You you were very much talking about looking at sponsoring legislation that was really raising a lot of questions about childhood vaccination and and this unproven connection to autism 
you, you stand by those positions that you took and those questions that you raised? You, you, you don't have any? No, uh, no. at the time there were some questions. Now it has been proven that there is no problem. Uh, and to ask a question 20 years ago, I follow the science. The science now says vaccines are completely and totally safe. Uh, so I, I feel that is an unfair attack. It is a lie, and he knows it. And I am disappointed uh, that you are asking questions about it and playing the same old game as well, him. I don't, I don't really see what's Trying a lie to about it. I mean, I think the record is fairly clear that you were asking a lot of these questions. You did appear at some rallies with you know, people who are who are really trying to undermine childhood vaccinations and call into question this potential. That, that That is not true. And if you continue pushing a not true statement, I think maybe we should. Uh, I, you're misrepresenting my, my oh, record. You are did, misrepresenting my record. What did, I, what did I misrepresent? I'm sorry. You're misrepresenting uh, my record. You're not talking about anything positive that I've done, which is always voting for vaccines. Uh -huh. supporting the science and supporting the building that costs millions of dollars. Of two I, I, I heard you on all that. And I don't think anybody's taking any of that away from you. I think both of I, your. I regret any statement I ever made asking a question about vaccines. There were two bills that I co-sponsored that studied them. I regret asking to study vaccines. You do. Okay. And, and and any clarification in terms of what drew you into that sort of mindset and 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 where you were? I, I no, you know, I think especially around the coat. Uh -huh. Okay. Um. All right. Well, we're we're in our last few minutes here. I want to try to ask you a couple other quick questions. Um. The this this major Penn Station area redevelopment plan. Uh. I know you've been asked about this a little bit. The part of the part of the funding uh, behind it seems to require and lean on what you've been talking about here, which is the ability of representatives in Washington to bring back uh, infrastructure funding. Is this something that you think you're going to make a priority if you're reelected? Do you want to jump into this project with Governor Hochul, Empire State Development, the the developers at hand? Is, is this Penn Station area redevelopment something that you're ready to um, you know, partner on and look to bring back federal funding for? Well, I, it depends on, on, on the project and how it's uh, developed. I, I have sent a letter. I'll be glad to send it to you, to the authorities, uh, asking several questions. Uh, number one, the financing is not clear. It's not clear that they have looked at other uh, alternatives, which would be through Burry, so that I'm concerned about a complete block that they're talking about uh, demolishing. I, I'm not... I feel that we should do everything to keep the uh, character of the neighborhood and to protect it. Uh, I am concerned that while residents and businesses have been promised of a right to return, if the Penn South expansion goes forward, this right might not be realized for 15 years or indeed ever, as there are currently no mechanisms to ensure that the buildings proposed for private development on the site will ever be built. And I wrote a letter urging the FTA, the FRA, Amtrak, and MTA as the local lead agencies to make sure that the through running and a less destructive southern expansion alternatives are all thoroughly explored and that their findings are shared with the community. Right now, there's been very little transparency. And I believe that this should include a full 
financial evaluation and cost benefit analysis of these alternatives as part of the NEPA review, which is a federal review. I'm not making any commitments until I see the NEPA review. Mm. Also, I'm concerned they want to build 10 towers, 10 commercial towers. And right now we haven't filled the Hudson Yard. Yeah, I've been confused about why there isn't more housing in that plan versus office space. It seems very heavy on office space and light on housing. And I've been confused about that going back to one of my prior questions to you about housing. I I, you know, that's something I've been wanting to ask the the powers that be uh, why that balance is so uh, heavily tilted in favor of office space. As you just mentioned, uh, Hudson Yards, you know, was was relatively new and has lots of office space. And, and I also support affordability in housing. Mm-hmm. And it's unclear that they have many affordable units. Mm-hmm. Um, the la- last two questions for you. Uh, out, of, out of this whole development that there's only 500 affordable units, which is very, very small. So I have a lot of questions about right. it. Last two questions. One, um, I'm, I'm trying to get a sense of this from from many uh, candidates in, in congressional races. This, this question of whether the Rikers Island jail complex should be under a federal monitor, which it currently is, versus federal receivership. Do you have a position on that? Do you think it's time for a, re- a full receivership of the jail system? Mayor Adams has pushed back on that. He said, you know, we just got into office. We have a plan. We have a new commissioner. Give us some time. He's been given a little bit of time, but people keep dying at Rikers. Uh, you know, there's obviously major, major problems there. Do you support continuing the monitorship and giving the mayor, the new mayor, some more time to get things straight? Or would you like to see a movement into a full receivership of the of the jails? Well, at this point, uh, a majority of the prisoners at Rikers fall within the pretrial status where they're awaiting trial, including many who are there only because of a financial inability to post bail or bond. Mm-hmm. I'm also concerned that some reports have shown that half the people in Rikers are really mentally ill, and we don't have beds for mentally ill. And I have a bill in to correct that. It's called the Michelle Go Bill, right. which would lift the cap on a, a uh, prohibition of Medicaid money for mental health beds. So that would allow more treatment beds for people and help uh, help that situation. The high bail amounts leads to two different levels of justice. And I've written several letters uh, asking for, uh, you know, accountability from the mayor's office and a briefing from the mayor's office, which we have not received yet. One level with people who can afford bail and being able to leave in humane conditions as these pretrial facilities and those who cannot afford them and are forced to say, I think it's outrageous that so many people are in a pretrial status. And I, 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 they say that's because of COVID. They couldn't, trans, they couldn't move them through the system, but they have to, to do that. And I think that judges need to consider alternatives to incarceration when determining a person's pretrial status. And we don't have many alternatives there. So, work so on, there work are on options those issues. like pretrial mm-hmm. Yeah, and we need to work on them. Now, the mayor, I think, is focused on this. He's focused on trying to make our streets safer. And we ought to try to work with him and help him. I'm trying to pass the mental health bill funding and also the uh, bills that would take guns off the street 
and, and help him uh, with the safety of the streets. Those are two things we can do on the federal level. So, so do all those things, no receivership at this point, try to work on those issues, work on your bills, work on some of the things the mayor's doing, but not, not, you're not quite at the point of saying the federal government should basically take over the jails. Right. Exactly. Okay. Got it. All right. Last question. Um, just back to the state of the race here as we're in our final couple of weeks before primary day, as I mentioned, we're taping here on Monday, August 8th, tomorrow, Tuesday, August 9th is two weeks from primary day. We're just a few days from early voting starting absentee ballots are already out and being returned. Um, so we're in the, the home stretch here from things I've heard from things I've just seen, uh, from you coming in and talking with me from the money you've loaned your campaign, a variety of other things. You seem to really be running this race very hard. Uh, I've heard from people at political clubs who are, you know, uh, very impressed by the ways that you're pursuing support and have said that you're really outworking, uh, at least Congressman Nadler, um, uh, you know, and obviously Suresh Patel is, is running as an as an underdog in this race. Do you feel like you're running as an underdog in this race or are you basically just, just doing what you've always done? How do you sort of see the state of the race here? And, you know, clearly because of these last two races, uh, Mr. Patel, you know, could could be something of a spoiler for you. And you you need to obviously combat the idea of him taking votes from you on the on the east side as you break into uh, vote votes on the West side. So just, just in the last minute here, how do you sort of see the race, uh, and, and your status in the race? And are you running this with a, a little extra, uh, sort of buzz, so to speak, because you do feel like a little bit of an underdog in the race, given those dynamics. Well, it's unfortunate that we're in this situation, but I'm running to win and I've never lost an election. I don't intend to start uh, now and take nothing for granted. We have won two clubs on the West side, and Nadler has not won any of the traditional clubs on the east side. And uh, we have won the largest uh, gay club, the Stonewall Democratic Club that came our way. Mm -hmm. uh, plus all the women's organizations understand that with the rollback of Roe, now more than ever, we need strong women who, with experience, who know how to fight and know how to make things happen uh, to protect women's rights in Congress like never before. Uh, so I have every single women's organization from NARAL to Planned Parenthood, to the National Women's uh, uh, Caucus, to the uh, Women's Political Caucus, to the Ms. Foundation, uh, to the great Gloria Steinem, uh, who has been uh, the leader of the women's movement for many years. Uh, so we have opened up two offices, one on the west side, one on the east side. He only has one on the west side. And uh, we're running an extensive volunteer campaign. We have over 100 volunteers and uh, we have over maybe 30 unions that have supported us. Uh, so we, are, we have a record to run on. We have a ground team. We have a professional staff. And uh, to be honest, I love campaigning. All right. Public service because I love my community and I love helping people and having the opportunity to run around New York City, talking to voters and learning more about the issues that matter is a privilege. And I, I think the last campaign, uh, the response response was that I won that campaign. Mm -hmm. So I feel good about it. All right. I'm working hard and <laughs> I know that women are very underrepresented in Congress and to uh, and and I am one of very few women in history, one of eighteen in history, to uh, chair a committee in Congress. I've chaired two of them, also the Joint Economic Committee, 
And I have a trailblazing uh, record. I was the first woman to represent my city council seat, my first to represent uh, my congressional seat. I'm the first woman in history of the city council to give birth while in office. Mm -hmm. Many men have become fathers, but not women. And uh, I work incredibly hard. That's why I've been ranked the first, second, or third most effective member of Congress, uh, far ahead of my opponent. And uh, I uh, work very hard to help people. I love my work. And uh, I've always been told I have no right to run. In fact, uh, Nadler suggested I step aside and get out of the race and just uh, run someplace else. I mean, there was no other place I could run. Mm -hmm. And I've always been told to, to get out of the room and I just keep working. That's what I'm doing now. I'm running a grassroots campaign and working hard to earn. Uh, there was support of uh, voters throughout the east and west sides and uh, i uh, look forward to continuing to meet all the voters i possibly can there and i appreciate you talking to me today too and i appreciate you coming on and and having this back and forth uh very much and uh there's the case from representative carol maloney who wants to return to congress uh, for another term she's running currently represents the current 12th congressional district and is running in the new 12th congressional district, which includes uh, much of the east side and the west side of Manhattan. There's an intense Democratic primary coming to a head this month here in August of 2022. If you are eligible to vote in this district or others, make sure you get out there and vote. The primary day is August 23rd. We've got early voting coming up before that and absentee balloting underway, of course. Congresswoman Carol Maloney, thanks very much for the time and be well. Thank you.